Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. Today, we are really happy to have Andy with us. Andy is the Chief Compliance Officer for Gemini Asia Pacific. He's based in Singapore. He is a lawyer by training, spent about 10 years in Asia as a litigator, both in private as well as in-house counsels. Prior to this, I think, Andy, you were with Morgan Stanley, right? That's correct. Right. Okay. Before this, he's got a really interesting career before being a lawyer. He was a captain and a special agent with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Sounds like you uh, specialize in catching bad guys. That's the nature of the job. Uh That's right. All right. It's great to have you here with us. Gemini is also a platform that allows customers to buy, sell, store, earn cryptos. And it's pretty interesting. It's founded in 2014, obviously by the very famous twin brothers Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. Thank you for joining us today, Andy. Thank you for having me, Kelly. So today we're going to delve on a topic of decentralized finance, right? So for the benefit of our audience, decentralized finance or DeFi utilizes generally computer programs to remove centralized models in the banking industry and provides access to financial services to anyone, anywhere. A lot of these services and apps are mostly built on public blockchains and mirror quite a lot of the financial services we have today in banks and products like lending, borrowing, derivatives, and insurance. More importantly, I think it really equalizes the playing field between an institution and the common man on the street. So lots of good stuff happening here, Andy, among all of that. You know, tell us your thoughts on what's the dominant theme in the next 12 months and possibly the impact on players like us, traditional finance. Yeah, I think not a week goes by when you don't hear about a different major theme in the DeFi space, whether that's metaverse or NFTs or all these different iterations that the blockchain can be used for and products that can be based on what the blockchain's capabilities are. But I think the major thing we're going to see over the next 12 months is that congruence between traditional finance and DeFi and how they interact and how they play together. I think there is this perception, in my opinion, it's a misperception that DeFi is out there to run traditional finance out of town. I think that there is big opportunity for both to develop in this space. And I think there are things that traditional finance does well and that DeFi in some ways tries to incorporate and maybe improve upon. And there are things that DeFi does that traditional finance struggles with. But I think that between the two, there is going to be a lot of common ground to work on projects together to develop the capabilities of this technology together and to bring it to an even broader group of people. Mm, That's good to hear. When I was thinking about TradFi, which is us, right? We work in a bank here, traditional finance, and I tried to do a Google search. Banks involved with DeFi, and I got no hits on Google. Literally, I scrolled to a second page, third page, nothing. It's interesting, right? Yeah. You know, the trend is pretty clear. I think total value locked in DeFi is about $250 billion, and it's probably going to increase, right? How do you think you know, TradFi is going to be involved in DeFi at all? Or is there a small place in which we can find 
a foothold in and then start to collaborate? Yeah, I don't think it's a small place. I think it's it's a big foothold. And interesting that if you would have talked about DeFi and let's just say Bitcoin 18 months ago at a traditional finance institution, you would be ostracized and looked at as the person who's facilitating money laundering and bring (laughs) all these negative aspects into kind of the confines of the traditional finance regulated space. But now, almost a day doesn't go by when you don't hear some financial institution suggesting what their plans are in the DeFi space or advising clients as to what products or services they think have the potential for big gains in the future. I think that what we're going to see is additional partnerships between players in the DeFi space and traditional financial institutions that help bring the products and services, whether that's digital tokens like Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatnot, or other blockchain capabilities that are offered by the players in the DeFi space to clients of traditional financial institutions. I think one of the reasons why DeFi is has some of the reputation it does in this kind of almost a mystical uh, kind of element to true, it is true. it's not necessarily that easy for the layperson to wrap their head around how a blockchain works and to take comfort in the fact that you really don't need to know the identity of the person on the other side or yeah, to, trustless, to trust right? it's trustless, right? Yeah, it's trustless. I think that big segment of the population who has these trusted relationships with traditional financial institutions looks to them to kind of guide as to what kind of products are suitable, what aren't, help them get into the space. And I think what we're seeing is partnerships. Gemini has one with Commonwealth Bank of Australia, for example, that allow these customers of traditional financial institutions to get into the space in a fairly safe and regulated manner where they're dealing with trusted partners. You're not at risk. Some of the pitfalls that we can talk about a little bit in terms of the negative capabilities that the blockchain brings. True, true. So I think we'll see more of that going forward. I sort of like that's a good segue to, you know, the pitfalls, right? And this comes like the bad part. With so much money in there, it's probably a honeypot for bad, bad actors. There are some crypto-specific terms in DeFi that maybe you could help our listeners out there. One is a rug pull and what's a flash loan attack? Because these are the two things that I commonly see almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. So let's start with a rug pull because that's the easier of the two and it's not sure. necessarily specific to the crypto space. A rug pull is just any investment in which after encouraging and facilitating investors to put money into a product, the team that runs that product or coin or what have you just takes the money and runs. Difficult to do in the regulated space, of course, because you would have to go through a financial institution as an intermediary True. who's going to presumably put up some sort of safeguards in that. In the DeFi space, that intermediary doesn't exist. And so there is a significant risk that investors who are frankly often looking for that quick buck are taken advantage of by players in the industry who are shrewd enough to set up a new coin offering. Squid token. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't actually have any underlying value to it, was never intended to. And oftentimes these contracts are written in a way that doesn't, don't actually give the investors any kind of protection. Like there isn't any representation that they're actually going to get some value for this investment. The people running the product can literally do whatever they want with that money. So essentially, the developers 
created program with a loophole for them to drain resources when they want to, right? Yeah, I, and it's not even a loophole. It's like a giant you know, window. <laughs> a giant window. Right. Because they're not necessarily hiding anything. Mm -hmm. They're just playing on this unbridled optimism that Formal. every token is going to moon, moon. And, and they're not. Okay, what about flash loans? Flash that's, loans? That's a bit more complicated. It's right? a little more complicated. I won't get into the specifics of how the flash loans work because, to be honest, I'll be quickly out of my own depth. Yeah. But a flash loan is effectively a way to, to loan money on the blockchain mm -hmm. that doesn't require the borrower to actually move collateral over to the lending party. And so in the event that the borrower defaults on the loan and doesn't repay whatever was borrowed, the whole transaction basically reverses itself and the, the lender gets their initial funds back. The problem and the risks with flash loans is that depending on the cryptocurrency that you use to kind of to mark the loan, many of these cryptos don't have a market capitalization that insulates them Drawdowns, from right. manipulations. And so a clever fraudster may take out one of these flash loans backed against a crypto that he or she knows he can easily manipulate the price of by buying or selling it in large blocks and effectively abscond with the proceeds of that loan while the lender gets this now valueless crypto in return. So this is flash loans, I would say, because of the complexity involved, typically is not something that your normal mom and pop retail investor is going to be exposed to because they're going to lack the sophistication to even get into the space in the first place. Well, but I see so much frequency of this happening. Is the loophole fixed? Uh, I know flash loans are pretty interesting for the platforms to you know, earn some form of uh, fees with regards yep. to that. But rock pools, probably not. You know? yep. But flash loans, any chance of, it, of this being fixed? Well, I mean, I think the short answer is no. And I think that is largely because it's really up to the participants in a flash loan to understand what that flash loan is actually involving and, and what cryptos are involved. Now, of course, if regulated exchanges and larger companies that are trusted, there are some well-known coins in the space, Aave, for example, offer these flash loans. Perhaps there's a little bit more trust you can take in that. But this is a theme in the DeFi space that without these intermediaries that we typically have in traditional finance, there is the risk of a knowledge gap between those developers and the consumers that they may be targeting that can be easily exploited. Okay, I mean, putting aside the bad stuff, well, this is such a nascent industry, right? And let's talk a little bit about competition because there are many protocols that's fighting for dominance, Ethereum, Binance, Solana, Cardano. I mean, in your opinion, right? Will there be a big winner or is there space for everyone? Yeah, it's a great question. Anyone that looks on any of the exchanges and the token offerings out there, there are hundreds, literally. And I think it's unrealistic to think that all of those are going to survive. There will be some consolidation. There'll be some winners and losers. I also think it's, this is not a case of a winner-take-all kind of environment. Many of these blockchains are built around similar principles, but to different ends. And I think there's going to be a lot of room for even, say, Cardano, Ethereum, Solana, ones that are kind of built on for the same purpose, right? and are viewed as competitors in many ways. But just like you have 
a number of different financial institutions that cater to slightly different customers. True, true. I think there's no reason why a number of these blockchains are, are going to survive and not necessarily be subsumed into a single winner. It's true, you know. I think that in the crypto community, there's this whack me thing that's going on. We're all going to make it. So, and it does seem like there's really enough blue ocean out there that many protocols can exist with their own core value propositions. There's like literally hundreds of banks in the world and all of them are existing in their own space. Sure, there's some competition, but I think that there's definitely space for everybody to move into. So maybe we're going to go into another space where probably your experience, your past experience, your current experience will be able to shed some light on and that's regulators. And not only does a day go by without a DeFi sort of news happening, regulators are also getting on the ball, right? The problem is, I think regulators are, by nature, slow-moving, but they can be quite draconian. So when they do decide something, they might overcompensate and do something that's really draconian. So which are the large jurisdictions, right, that in your view will see something really harsh that could cause quite a lot of volatility yep. in this crypto space? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that, obviously, in my position, it's my daily job is to try to monitor these and to help regulators understand what sensible regulation might look like and to help foster that conversation. Obviously, China's banning of Bitcoin is a pretty big deal. Yeah, it is. It and is. it had a market reaction, no question. I think it is interesting, though, that even though th that ban effectively cuts out 20% of the population that could otherwise be investing True. in these products, the dip was somewhat temporary. Market went back up. I mean, I think it is. it demonstrates the resiliency of this product and this technology. And I think that in regulators' minds, I think that phenomena has also opened their eyes to the fact that this is not something they can completely regulate. Unless you're a country like China and you have the ability to shut down the internet. Yeah. But because of the DeFi nature of this, you can regulate the intermediaries who are kind of helping to facilitate people's transition into the true, into true. DeFi, but you can't really shut down the peer-to-peer -peer interactions that occur on the blockchain. And so the challenge then is, well, how do you regulate the intermediaries in a way that gives the public confidence that they can use these intermediaries as a gateway into DeFi without being so severe that you turn off the intermediaries altogether and leave the retail public out there kind of floundering True. on their own, True. trying to mm -hmm. find their way through the forest. That's the big challenge. And I think that's what regulators are struggling with and what the crypto community is trying to kind of get their arms around. Do you think the West or the East is more accepting of this particular industry now? It does seem like the SEC is a little bit wary they don't want to grant any spot kind of ETF kind of thing. But it seems like, you know, in Switzerland and in Singapore, we tend to be a little bit more clear on regulation. Do you see a shift? Or is there a place where people are finding more liberal regulators? Yeah, I mean, I would say if you look globally, one of the earliest adopters in the crypto space is Japan. Mm -hmm. And they were quite quick to find some kind of a middle ground for regulation. Now, just because that works in Japan doesn't mean it works everywhere else. I think Singapore has been bold in putting their intentions out there to make this a regulated space and to try to attract crypto industry players to operate in a licensed regime. 
part one of the challenges of being an early mover is you don't have the benefit of everyone else's mistakes. It's true. And I think that one of the big challenges that regulators face the MAS not being immune to this is it's difficult to put crypto in any existing traditional finance bucket. Is it a commodity? Is it a security? Is it a payment instrument? And if it is one of those things, well, should all the regulations that apply to those products and services in the traditional financial world also apply to crypto? It's not a perfect fit. And there are attributes of crypto that actually benefit from less regulation. The ability to monitor transactions on the blockchain, for example, can be significantly better than currency control requirements of disclosing names. If you, know, if you can follow actually where the money goes and where it's spent, that's more beneficial to stopping money laundering than knowing which person actually has that money at any one time. So there's a lot of different aspects that we would like to be able to find a more kind of nuanced approach. But this is such a new industry. It's completely unrealistic to expect that regulators from day one are going to get everything exactly right. Yeah, It's going to be years before there is any kind of a, a global agreement as to what this is, let alone how it ought to be regulated. Well, you spoke about China just now, and I think this is also sort of like a good opportunity to ask your thoughts about you know, central bank digital currencies. Because I think many, many central banks uh, obviously see the benefits of the underlying technology of blockchain. But do you think that they're going to use this CBDC avenue to really push the crypto realm and the private coins to a small, tiny corner and re-exert the, the power in which they always had? Yeah, I think that the CBDC movement is, I would view it as more of an evolution of the traditional financial space. I think the world is recognizing that paper money just doesn't make that much sense anymore. It's expensive to print. It's hard to get rid of. It's not that easy to transact with. And we have this great technology out there that, from a government's perspective, gives them significantly more control over the financial products and status of their country True. because they yes. can monitor everything that goes on on it. And for your consumers, it's easy, right? And in many ways, it allows more people access to financial products and services that would otherwise have to go through banks that they might not be able to get accounts at. But is a CBDC going to replace private blockchains? Probably not. They really serve different functions. And much of the interest in the private blockchains is, number one, they're private, and people do take some comfort in the pseudonymity that that affords. But also, they're not controlled by the government, and they're not subject to the same monetary policies as traditional fiat. So I think one of the big concerns and one of the driving forces behind the creation of Bitcoin was the idea that since the last of the economies came off the gold standard, there's not really anything backing these government-issued currencies except for the trust in that government. And when that starts to erode, then people's faith in that currency start to as well. Now, that represents a relatively small segment of the participants in the cryptocurrency space, but that is the underlying ethos of why it was developed. And I don't think CBDCs can kill that. Right. All right. So Andy, just two rapid fire questions for you. Number one, what do you think is the most overhyped part of the DeFi world at this point of time? I think the most overhyped part is the value and the prices that NFTs are capturing right now. Right. I think this 
will likely kind of correct as they become more and more popular. But I think we're in this rush to be part of this new thing that's out there. And I think that NFTs are going to stick around. And I think it's a really interesting aspect of what you can do with the blockchain. I'm just not sure that the prices that some of these are fetching right now make them good investments going forward. Right. Okay, and what's the part of decentralized finance that is the most attractive or sort of like overlooked DeFi 2.0? What do you think? So I think that it is the platforms that cater to kind of these, the creation of these metaverses. Wow. And I think that that is largely because so many of the senior folks, especially in not just in the crypto space and, and DeFi, but just in general, don't appreciate how much of a draw this really is for a big segment of the younger population in particular and how you can live a separate life in these spaces and have all the things that you associate with like normal life, property, friends, clothing items, reputations. All of these things can be built on the blockchain as part of these universes. And I think that that we're just beginning to tap that potential. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really interesting space to follow. All right. Thank you for that. So NFTs and the metaverse, I think that's pretty interesting. So in closing, maybe I can round this off here, right? The good part of DeFi, I would say that it's only going to get bigger because it gives accessibility to great financial products to the millions of retail investors that would have otherwise not be able to access them because they're not institutional in nature. The bad part, obviously, honeypot, so much money in there, lots of bad actors. Do your own research. I think that's the biggest point. You have to own this for yourself. You got to do your own research before putting any part of your wealth in there. And the ugly part, right? I mean, I guess to prevent more blood in the streets, traditional finance players like us, I think we'll have to stop fighting this and really embrace it. And I think that even regulators, like you rightly pointed out, trying to figure it out, you know, trying to embrace it, even if they're trying to, you know, maintain some form of uh, power balance. So great. I think that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you for joining me. And on behalf of all our colleagues at Julius Bear, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.